I also think that there's a huge part of her identity was formed in the war. You know, she fell in love with Philip. She was absolutely potty about him from a very early age. I was very struck by that again in the memoirs and diaries. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Aspects of History podcast. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. And as I promised on Saturday, Dr Tessa Dunlop has joined me to discuss the Queen's death and the media's response to it. We also discuss the Queen's wartime service and her early relationship with Prince Philip. Tessa has been very busy and so I just want to thank her for giving me the time. It's interesting to get her perspective on this event, and if you want to find out more, I've put links to Tessa's books and other podcasts that she's appeared on. If you can subscribe, that would be fantastic, and if you like the pod, please give a review on Apple Podcasts. Google doesn't let you, I don't think, but Spotify operates a star system out of five, so don't be shy. I'll now hand you over to Dr. Tessa Dunlop. Tessa Dunlop, welcome back to the Aspects of History podcast. And um, uh, it's so kind of you because you've been on Sky News, Channel 4 News, Talk TV, and now you can add um, my humble podcast to that list. I've been on a bigger podcast than yours, Ollie. How does that make you feel? Um, well, is it bigger? Yeah, Newscast. It's the BBC one. Oh, Actually, not... on that day, on that day, it really was the, it's the fourth day in or something, and um, I had had really no sleep and I got someone to line everything up for me Do you know literally I've now become a diva um and uh and so I just went from one zoom link to another and suddenly I was like down the line with Jim Nockerty and I got sort of weirdly competitive I thought well bugger me he's not a historian I, I sort of out historyed him to the point that the producer sent me a text in the middle and he said this is meant to be actually a news program not a history lesson <laughs> like... well done well done well you'll be if you're a diva you'll be on Meghan Markle's podcast next yeah, maybe I should wait for that. Yeah, I'm going to wait for my invitation. I'm actually kinder about Meghan than many people are, uh, especially whenever I go into the mail, because as we know, the mail and Meghan don't have a particularly um, kind history. No. I don't think kind is a word that comes into that relationship. Anyway, we're going to talk about the late Queen. Let's talk just very briefly, if we may, about the coverage. What's really interesting about um, the sort of popularity of modern monarchy, Britain's monarchy, is that um, it's, it's a bit of a construct. It's a sort of an invented tradition, one very deliberately done at the turn of um, the 20th century when there was a sort of imperial argy-bargy going on between the European thrones. And one of the ways in which you inculcate or make um, big, aggrandise um, a royal house is partly through paraphernalia and ceremony and, and pomp. And we got all that kind of on track, particularly by the end of Victoria's reign, the, the diamond and the golden jubilees and, and then her funeral even though she was like the widow of Windsor, she hated coming out on show. But um, what's interesting is the oxygen for this new popular powerless um, monarchy is the press. You need a very supportive, right-leaning press uh, to transport the message, to mobilise the masses. And we're seeing that very much... Um, and I am a facilitator of that um, press game, I realise, I recognise. We see that very much at the moment. And I and I am I'm kind of struck and I'm aware that there's quite a few days to go, over a week to go before the state funeral. And 
I wonder to what extent the press is going to keep up this blanket coverage and, and to what effect. You'll remember with Philip's funeral, there was a bit of a backlash. You know, he obviously wasn't the monarch. He was a supporting role. But there was a bit, you know, people sort of complained and the BBC put up a sort of, you know, you could post complaints on their web page. And I do worry, you know, obviously the Queen isn't there to moderate any longer. You know, uh, I don't think there's any harm in, in having... Uh, the cortege or, or the coffin lying in state and then going to another news story. Hmm. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, I think when there is certainly there's something to, um, to transmit like the proclamation yesterday, that's obviously an event that hasn't been seen on TV before. It's yeah, but that's quite... different, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. And, and at the moment I can understand why it's been more or less blanket coverage because we've had the proclamation and the, the death and, the, and, and obviously the queen on the move now from Balmoral. But I and I and I support all that. And, you know, I'm a monarchist. And insofar as I think the, the institution of monarchy works very well for the British Constitution. But I think that 10 days is quite a long time. Indeed. We've got, we've got more, more than a week now until the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you feel? Yeah. The, uh, so it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see how the, 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 the press are going to handle the next week. Obviously, there'll be another build up for the funeral. Um, but I wonder in, in, in the interim what the tone will be. Mm. Obviously, we've got um, we've got um, Prince Charles quite rightly going to all four corners of the King, King of the Charles British Union. King Charles, oh, I just said Prince Charles. Yeah, it's because I'm tired. Lucky I didn't do that on the Jim Nockety newscast, eh? Um, and uh, and uh, King Charles. What was I going to say about King Charles? Yeah, he's going to. And, and you know, um, Liz Truss has jumped on his coattail. She's going with him. Yes, I'm surprised at that. Well, I, do you think do you think he felt he couldn't say no? Oh, it was a request from the prime minister, was it? Yeah, well, it's not stipulated. There's no, there's no um, procedure that says the prime minister should accompany. But the prime minister being there immediately makes it political. And the whole point is the, the monarchy is above politics. If exactly. I'd been Prince Charles, I'd have said, get on out, girlfriend. This mm. is my gig, not yours. I've been waiting for this gig for 73 years. I'd have given her the old heave-ho. But they're probably sticking to each other like glue because they're both newbies, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That must be it. I mean, I, it, you're, but you're right. It does make a make a, a political statement. That um, it does, yeah. Especially in places like Scotland that doesn't didn't even vote a to the Tory MP, a Tory Prime Minister, and Wales and Northern. I mean, the, you know, it's, it's a much far more toxic brand, Liz Truss, in in the, those three nations than than she is in England. Well, we'll see how that that goes down because I think that's only just been announced this morning. We're speaking on the eleventh. Yes, I think you should sit slightly further back from your microphone, just slightly. Just thought I'd give you a bit of a tip there for your own podcast. There we go. Good. Now we can move on to the Queen. We're going to do a quick 10-minute podcast on this. Sorry, I've now waffled on at great length about other things. Um, and then we're going to return to the subject of Elizabeth in her early years later on uh, in November, aren't we, Ollie? Yes, I, I've effectively uh, given you control of this yeah. podcast, <laughs> as, as my <laughs> listeners control. would have just heard. Yeah, good. So um, let's just recap. I talked to you last um, for a Jubilee edition um, with regard to Her Majesty's service in um, the ATS, the Auxiliary Territorial Service in World War II. I should just point out here that I did a Radio 4 
documentary about this. It went out a few days ago. Not, uh, not you know, using your platform to advertise other platforms. Obviously, I'd never dream of doing that. I will put uh, a link uh, in the show yeah. notes. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, you do that with some of the original women from the ATS. And they, they rang me, Betty rang me yesterday. She's 99. She went, Tessa, everyone says the Queen's like a grandmother. She said, she's actually younger than me like this. And I've never been a grandmother, said Betty. So funny. Uh, we forget because the Queen was so old, obviously, that she, she, she came in many forms and packages, you know, for Betty and for Daphne and for, for Barbara in the ATS. She was actually their junior, you know. Um, anyway, uh, just, just a quick note on her. Since I wrote Army Girls, actually, I came across the Windsor Diaries um, written by a sort of uh, an aristocratic girl, Alf, Alf, Althea, uh, who, because she was a girl, failed to inherit uh, a, a dukedom and therefore sort of was sidelined and spent most of the war in Windsor Park and became really the sole playmate of the two princesses, although she was sort of slightly dubious, three years older than Elizabeth and seven older than Margaret. But she wrote these wonderfully candid diaries that were published in 2020. And um, they've been very useful for my subsequent research. But she's hysterical because she's obviously a classic posh girl, totally aristocratic, doesn't really like it when um, Princess Elizabeth does a pantomime with the local children on Windsor Estate, doesn't sort of like the backslapping and the handling of the commoners, really thinks it's most unbecoming, totally misses the point of modern monarchy and the kind of bond between the people and the, and the princess. Um, and her other horror is when... Um, and Elizabeth joins the ATS because, of course, it's, you know, the auxiliary tart service. It's the sort of demeaned, um, much lower, uh, low, has much lower standing than the other two female services. She's in the VAD being a true posh girl, of course. And um, Elizabeth gets into this ATS uniform, which um, Alathia thinks is absolutely hideous and unbecoming and doesn't like the way Elizabeth's hair is curled in any way, thinks the princess has terrible dress sense and looks a bit chubby and really speaks sort of, speaks her mind. Sometimes she thinks she looks puffy and, oh dear, you know, I wish she did more wide reading. And like it's at, at the same time is desperately trying to ingratiate herself into the royal family and into the princess's circle and she never quite manages it it's really interesting it's a great insight into the into the late queen's kind of early ability to um acknowledge people and remain on good terms with them without letting them be too close there's only one conversation in despite all of Althea's attempts and despite the fact she was this older girl um there's only one moment where Elizabeth is slightly indiscreet and says oh I'm a bit worried I've got to find a husband and stuff and and, and kind of you know reveals her hand otherwise there's this kind of you can tell she's got early on she's aware of her inheritance aware of her special status anyway off she goes to be this um, eventually becomes this woman in service, which of course Althea thinks is terribly common. And so does the king. The king doesn't really approve of women in service. But what can you do if uh, there's been a sea change in thinking since the beginning of the war, 1941? Of course, we've talked about this, Ollie. 1941 being the um, the uh, the first time ever Britain introduced conscription for women and that age lowered so it starts age 20 and then it lowers to 19 and of course they're desperately trying to recruit girls even younger than that but you need parental permission from 17 and a half and the queen or princess as she was then who's locked down in Windsor with Althea and and, and Margaret and her governess Crawfee really quite bored and obviously champing at the bit to have a go is eventually allowed um, to, to, to sign up. There's a huge amount of paperwork between the palace, Buckingham Palace, the Queen Mother, Queen as she was then, Queen Elizabeth, and the ATS, sort of all the paraphernalia and the box ticking. It does make you think about today and the organisation of the funeral and so forth, just how much bureaucracy is going on, sort of frantic, you know, elbow grease uh, required for any kind of procedural event to take place. And, and that's what the princess's role in the ATS was. It was, it was, it was ceremonial more than anything else.
But even, yeah, even looking at the proclamation yesterday, which was hugely bureaucratic, really, when you listen to mm. what they were running through. Um, so moving forward. Yeah, to and next- by the way, what, it's just a big day off, a big paid day off for politicians, wasn't it, really? I just looked at them all. Well, Parliament's been suspended, I believe. I know. Well, they're just raking in for doing nothing. I'm sorry. I've got nothing. (laughs) All grist to Prince Charles. I mean, King Charles, who's now having to properly work, age 73 and a half. That must be quite a shock to the system. I mean, he's not a spring chicken. Most people are sliding into a gentle retirement at 73 and a half, you know, over a nice glass of vino and probably a copy of The Telegraph. I think that's probably his paper of choice, although he is a big um, environmentalist. Are you sure about that? Well, exactly. I've just changed my mind because he's an environmentalist, isn't he? So I wonder what he does read. I know that the Queen liked the Telegraph. It was one of the papers they took. And Prince Philip broadened it out and included the Mirror and the Sunday Pictorial, which no longer exists, but was quite lefty and controversial. Well, the Telegraph has got very good cricket coverage. Or does Prince Charles, I mean, King, King Charles, does he like cricket? The Duke of Edinburgh loved cricket. Right. Well, the Duke of Edinburgh would have gone for the Telegraph of Sport. I'm not saying the Duke of Edinburgh didn't read the more right wing press, but the papers that Buckingham Palace took, the the the, the base of them, you know, the, it was a broader church, thanks to Philip. But I don't know about Charles, but he is, you know, he was the man who originally talked to plants when no one else realised that plants had a voice. So Indeed. he's kind of a pioneer in that way. Anyway, going back to princess elizabeth because you're only getting 10 minutes because you know i've moved on well to you're, you've higher, gone over harder and bigger you've given me additional minutes so that's very kind of you i think we should move i think we should move it, are the additional mentioned... minutes for your patron clients do you have patron clients yet or are you not successful no we don't we don't limit Why our not? content to our customers because I, this is the way of connecting authors with um with listeners and so we don't want to limit limit the number there uh, thank you for the, um, that that yeah. more advice. Okay. And okay. so you, I've mentioned the Duke of Edinburgh. You, this mm-hmm. is your next book, which you, I know you're revising at the moment because you'd finished yeah, it the I other day. I haven't though, because I've been too busy doing teletarting, haven't I? I've got to, basically it was in with the copy editor, Philip and Elizabeth, the early years, story of young love and marriage, etc. And um, the Queen died just as it had gone to the copy editors and I've got it back and I've got to top and tail it differently and change the tense and I haven't touched it because I'm too tired and you know grammar what do they say write drunk edit sober I hadn't anyway. heard that yeah so and I always think when you're really tired it's a bit like being a bit drunk isn't it it's, you're a bit you know, sort of you know loose-lipped as I am at the moment Ollie very loose-lipped especially for you um, so where were we? So the Queen goes and does her, the Princess Elizabeth goes and does her service, which is what I was going to quickly talk about. You can read all about this, obviously, in the Jubilee edition of Army Girls, just in case Ollie forgets to steer you in that direction. That's the Jubilee edition of Army Girls. I'm sure Ollie will help work out how we can get you a signed copy. Actually, there's a really good publisher that's got some signed copies, signed also by Barbara, who always reminds me that she's older than the Queen and not to be confused with the Queen. Fox Lane Books, they're called. You should follow them on Twitter, Fox Lane Books. They're a virtual bookshop and they do signed copies and stuff. I will provide a link in the show notes for anyone who would will like you? a signed copy. Thank you. Would you do that? They're paperback signed for, by me and Barbara. Barbara and I. Me doesn't sign a book. I do. So, um, so the Queen, uh, as Elizabeth, goes down and as you'll discover in the exclusive Jubilee content, um, that she is, she's a curious conundrum even at that stage in her life. So she's 18, rising 19, at the very tail end of the war. And um, Gwen, who I spoke to, bless Gwen, she's wonderful, age 98. In fact, she's in that Radio 4 documentary. She vividly remembers the princess. Uh, and two things stood out. One was um, the princess's kind of reticence, not necessarily reticence, but a kind of almost 
an absence of knowledge about how to handle herself around her peers. You know, she really had been cloistered in an ivory tower. And her governess says that, you know, Corfi says that in her little princess's memoir, that she didn't go to school. And then war comes, so she has even less exposure to ordinary folk, whatever that might mean, and even to extraordinary folk. Her parents are away, you know, wandering around bomb sites and doing their bit. She's trussed up with this eccentric aristocrat, Althea and Margaret and, and Corfi, and somebody comes in and teaches them how to draw pictures, and somebody pops in and teaches her about the Constitution. But that's been about it. And, and French. She, she learned French. She learned French. Yeah, she was good at French. She was fluent at French. Yes, she was. Um, and better than Philip, who, of course, spent quite a few years in Paris when he was exiled as a prince. Anyway, um, back to Elizabeth she said, and she also learned to, to paint and, and she had the odd dance for the Grenadier Guard but generally her life had been um, very rarefied I mean it was the gilded cage in war I know they sort of drew a line on the bath and, and, and tried to follow rations and stuff but but really it was a pretty privileged existence uh, in this extraordinary fortification during the war it was ringed by anti-aircraft guns Windsor Castle at the time and all the sort of blackout blinds and all the art was taken down Queen Mary thought it was a hell of a place in the war but so she goes down and she's shy. She doesn't quite know how to sort of be, I think it would be fair to say, partly because she's aware of her exceptionalism um, early on. We know that she knows she's in line for the throne from the age of 10. And partly, I would presume, because the likes of Gwen, uh, you know, are also a bit not starstruck, but but aware that, hey, this is a princess. Although Gwen said we only curtsied to her when the cameras were around. And the other thing that um, she was very struck by was um, the princess's self, how self-possessed she was around the press. You know, so while the girls knew how to, all of the girls in the ATS, you know, were, knew each other and were hanging out and the Queen found that a bit difficult, or the princess did. Um, when the press comes, of course, Elizabeth immediately knows what to do. She sort of goes into a, a set role. She does her choreography photograph. She handles them very well. Whereas for all the, the girls, the ATS girls, a lot of sort of giggling and sort of, you know, tittering and practicing curtsies when the King and Queen arrive. Because, of course, the press call come when the royal family come to visit Elizabeth, looking under the, the lid of a, of a Bedford truck. So I thought those were quite interesting insights into the early years of Elizabeth. I also think that there's a huge part of her identity was formed in the war. You know, she fell in love with Philip. She was absolutely potty about him from a very early age. I was very struck by that again in the memoirs and diaries. But that's very classic kind of, you know, girl back in Britain falling in love with, you know, military hero. It's absolute textbook. I mean, I've, I've written a lot about war veterans and I don't think I've met very many who didn't have a sweetheart of some sort somewhere. Um, most of them survived, but some didn't. Luckily, Philip did. Um, and uh, and also that handmaiden role that she had. But people like to sort of, I think, project onto the Queen all sorts of ideas. I wish she were feminist, was she this? I don't believe she was. She was a monarchist. That's what, first and foremost, she believed in the monarchy because her father had sacrificed a lot to become king in the wake of his brother's abdication. And um, and I, and if that meant she was a working mother, so be it, because the, the greater cause was was being a monarchist but I, I I don't believe she was a sort of progressive in fact I know she wasn't a progressive liberal I think it she was rueful about the fact that she had a sort of bigger role than Philip I think that was always one of the conundrums of her marriage and anyway what I was trying to say was so that the ATS while these girls did serve obviously it was a non-combat role and um and, and, and in, in keeping really those gender rules weren't really broken up so girls they signed up and they served and they wore uniform and some even went overseas but actually, there was no real effort to smash up and rearrange the architecture of gender. That went very much back to how it had been before the war. And we know the 1950s was, in terms of women's lib, quite a regressive decade. 
Well, I'm very much looking forward to reading um, about your next book about the Princess Elizabeth. And going to have to wait. You're yeah. only going to get a copy if you buy a copy. It won't be that long, though, will it? You're not going, you're not going to get a free copy, Ollie. I'm not giving you a free copy this time. <laughs> Ollie gets, just to let you know, dear listener, this Ollie is... gets all these free books. He gets free books that he recycles as presents for his friends. <laughs> that, that my family members do all have army girls. <laughs> do they? Well, they need to buy another copy. <laughs> Sales have dropped off a bit. <laughs> but I was going to say that the one thing I noticed that, that struck me and I'm, you know, obviously I'm not the only one is that um, the Duke of Edinburgh dying a year ago the Queen has followed not long after that's quite yeah, I think is, is, is I that think... that because you, you work with a lot of um, um, women in extreme old age is that is is you know the, the, the soulmate has, has gone is that something that no. I think they, they were both so deep into old age that they were always going to follow one quite quickly on the heels of the other. You know, you don't live much beyond 96. There ain't many years left, even if you're, you know, uh, she was never on course, I don't believe, to go over 100. She's had four children. That weakens you. Most of the really, really old women I know don't, don't have four children. Most of them are childless, actually, interestingly. There's been no research done in the extreme elderly and the impact of childbirth in the mid-20th century. The Queen, you know, um, her mother, her own mother um, lived, I think, to 101. Um, and I think that I would have been amazed if the, even before Philip died, I didn't think the Queen would make it to 100. It was a sort of um, a fragility to her that sort of set in a couple of years ago. I mean, I'm finely tuned to it. I have a lot of extremely old women, like one at the moment is on end of life. Daphne made a rallied and made a recovery. But Joyce, one of my century girls, is on end of life. And I went to visit her in May and I thought, not long I actually I thought um I'm you know it's a bit this sounds awful like sort of voyeuristic kind of guessing game of death but you you do get a sense and also I have to divvy up where I place my energies if I have say 30 originally about 30 women 95 plus you know who who to invest time in you you want to make sure they don't slip away and you haven't not visited them or do you know so I I am that I do try and yeah to an extent make sure that I've checked in before their great departure I love two of my very dear favorites, Bletchley Girl, Pamela, who actually features in my Elizabeth and Philip book because she knew Philip's all-time girlfriend, um, Ulsa Benning, later um, Heineke, can't remember her surname, but anyway, she, they worked at Bletchley Park together. A very pretty girl. Anyway, Pamela died at 103 last year, and I remember Army Girls was just coming out, and I'm, I was devoted to Pamela, like she was a proper friend, and I knew she was dying, and I thought, I've got to get to her. You know, I was so bombed out with 17 veterans attached to Army Girls, and, 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 uh, and Pamela is a totally another kind of separate um, relationship and separate book, and I did get to her. I went to see her weeks before she died, and I was really, really glad I had, because she was still compass mentis. Ditto Anne. Anne was a century girl. And can you put in the show notes all my books, please? Anne was a century girl and um, she's the matri- my ultimate matriarch. And she um, died. And again, I got to see her because I'd been blocked from seeing her because she was in a home. And um, she went in just before COVID. And I went to see her j- the, again at the end of last year, 107 years old. Still knew who I was, 107. Ditto Olive. And I didn't get to go to her funeral because um, I had COVID. God damn it. So it was all this last two years. I tell you what, nobody, none of these women, I think a couple of them were weakened by COVID. None of them died of COVID. I think the late queen was weakened by COVID, to be honest. But um, none of them died of COVID. But so many of them, unlike the queen, and that was the queen's great privilege, really, so many of them died alone or 
trapped in homes you know nobody asked them if that's how they wanted to spend the end of their life but they're used to they're used to hudding on there is prince william i think said something very um interesting in his um statement yesterday it's a 240 word statement something about having um how he the queen set an example of duty and service from a different age but which has been useful for him and, and our generation and i thought that was i thought it was well put um, certainly, you know, I complained on behalf of the women about lockdown and stuff, but they wouldn't have complained. You know, it's just something else they had to put up with in a very long life of putting up. Because, I mean, and that generation of women did put up in a way that my generation don't. I'm doctor, by the way, you introduced me as Tessa. Well, this I... Woman, this, this woman has a title, doctor. See, a generation before Joyce, who was a doctor and is now an honorary fellow of uh, Newnham College, she would never correct you, aged 103. Well, Dr. Tessa Dunlop, thank you very much for giving me your time. Thank you very much for listening and um, God save the king. Oh, I went on an American podcast and um, and it was quite, I didn't realise what it was. I had no idea. My American friend went, my God, that's massive. That's like a showbiz thing. And I was like, well, I just said yes to it. You know, I said, how much? And then I said, oh, all right then. And I went on this um, American show, TMZ or something with these two kind of cool guys and uh, and they started having a go at the Queen and asking about all this trolling that's been happening. I was totally unaware. I've been blinded by our own right wing press. I was under the duped, under the impression we all loved the Queen this week, at least. And um, apparently, you know, people were saying she was an anti, uh, you know, colonial figure and, you know, colonialism and racism and making all sorts of. And I suddenly because often when I'm in the right wing press, I sort of push back a bit and say, you know, we need to give you know compassionate but critical analysis. And suddenly I found myself kind of feeling a sense. It's a bit like you can bash your sibling up, but but nobody else can. That's exactly how I felt about talking about the royal family in America. I was suddenly like, oh, no, she's not the queen. The queen adored the Commonwealth. She, you know, I was absolutely suddenly became, you know, sort of frothing at the mouth royalist. Well, and I, then I at just... the very end, at the very end, I went, God save the king. Just to sort of throw That's it. wonderful. Because totally I've just been, I'm amazed at how much uh, America is covering this, which I think um, does say something in itself. Loads of countries are my Italian neighbours are like, my God, it's all over Italian telly. We have the telly on all the time. I keep getting calls from Romanian media. Will you talk about um, Prince Philip? I'm like, I'm struggling to speak in English at the moment, dear Romanian <laughs> broadcasters, let alone in Romanian. Anyway, that's a different party trick. Lots of love, Ollie. I look forward to this podcast going out and I hope the sound quality is better this time. Yeah, well done. You've done a good job there. Coming up on Saturday's pod, I'll be returning to the history. I've got Giles Milton on Smyrna, 1922. You may not be aware, but we're at the 100th anniversary of this terrible event when Greek refugees were burnt out of the city of Smyrna, now Izmir, by Turkish forces. Many thousands were killed and it was a humanitarian disaster. Also still to come, I have Robert Harris on his new novel, Ben McIntyre on Colditz, and Max Hastings on the Cuban Missile Crisis, as well as plenty of others. I've got Tudor history and some medieval history coming up too. So please do join me and subscribe if you can. Thank you and good night.